welcome to the December 10, 2020 edition of Digging Out. My guest for the full hour today is Dr. Terry LePage, formerly the Transitional Minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ, here to contemplate why we have not yet had a memorial for the casualties of COVID-19 and what must be considered in preparing for and presenting such a ritual or series of rituals. She has served eight churches around Southern California. She sees spirituality, the Christian gospel with a little g in her own writing and social justice as inextricably linked and is often seen at rallies for human rights around Orange County. Terry has blended her entrepreneurial with her spiritual proclivities when she formed Open Door Communication. Terry comes to us today from her home in Irvine, in my very neighborhood. Welcome to Digging Out, Terry LePage. Thank you, Claudia. I'm glad to be here. Thanks once again. You always turn out when I ask you to handle some of the most earnest material I ever want to present to my listeners. So Terry, I'd like to start out with why I turn to you to answer this wide-eyed concern about a COVID memorial, to look at the pillars of your enterprise, compassionate communication. And I'm, I'm going to draw on a few of them. It's a broad demographic, it's couples and families. And you talk about work relationships, church and volunteer organizations, about neighbors and friends, to forming an inner peace and clarity, and for optimal negotiation and problem solving. And those pillars, I've actually mentioned all of them, they're a good starting point, giving you this mantle of authority to deal with the penultimate kind of memorial process. Not so much the infrastructure, but a ritual that would be honored in a large kind of a public setting. And so I also wanna put out the criteria for when I talk about the casualties of COVID-19. I'm talking about those who have succumbed, those who died of COVID. I wanna include the long haulers affected by having had COVID-19 and that they're experiencing excruciatingly protracted recovery as well as lost livelihoods or institutions that we've lost, cultural and other kinds of institutions. So all that put out there, to lay out that, why Terry is a memorial and essential ritual for a public, whether it's our national or international public. Thank you, Claudia. Um, it's a time to draw together, to heal and to be accountable. And um, as you can well imagine, it's really hard right now to do those things in a country that's so deeply divided along political lines and ideological lines. If it could be pulled off, it could be an opportunity for healing and humility. And that, because the memorial, the ritual itself puts a person in a contemplative state that sort of opens, I don't want to use that, it's getting kind of tired now, the bandwidth, but they're like a, a spiritual bandwidth to open up 
the contemplation leading to the humility and to the healing. Yeah, to admit our vulnerability, to admit our humanness. We, we are all mortal. And um, it's, it's really humbling always to be at a memorial. And it also always for me in a memorial, I'm reminded of the preciousness of life and what not to take for granted. So I'm wondering if like with the humility, then it would allow us, allow everyone, allow for an opportunity of a process of persuasion that COVID-19 is actually real. I don't think a memorial is the place to try to make that point. I don't know that. So, so there are really two different kinds of memorials that you could envision. And one is, is the activists ritual and the other is the public drawing together. And, and I think you wanna be clear on which you're attempting. Just so you know, there have been some attempts at national public mourning at the 100,000 death mark and at the 200,000 death mark. I don't remember the 100,000 death mark date. It might've been in July. The 200,000 death mark was September 22nd. And there were actually rituals in early October to mark that both in Washington DC and in Chicago. And it was called a national week of mourning, but of course, because our nationwide leadership didn't present it to us, many of us didn't hear about it, right? So that's that huge structural component. In order for it to be a public right, that the public needs to be brought together, brought a leader, and I say leader in every, every kind of sense, uh, whether it's a political, an ecumenical, a cultural, I, I'm not sure, are there other categories of what leaders, where they come from? Well, cultural is pretty broad brush, which would include spiritual, that would be on my list. Okay. And, and even celebrities, I mean, celebrities have pull and could have a place in a national memorial, especially if they were providing music, that would be fabulous. And that is, I, I am gonna bring up a wish of mine for a people that something comparable to them that would be a, a wish for me. So, so you were saying it, it happened, that the tree fell in the woods, but not everybody was allowed to come to the woods. Nobody, not everybody was notified to come to the woods to hear the tree fall as it were. With the I Washington. think actually a very small fraction of people and that's really a big loss. The 100,000 mark, what I'm thinking of, do you remember the New York Times had a memorial on yes. their online website and in print as well? In print, and it I was, It was very nicely done and very moving. It was, yes. <laughs> so, but that is as publicly available as the New York Times it was a silent observance. It was people would go at it at their own pace. And as we talked about this in preparation for the interview, Terry, we talked about the siloing of this kind of ritual, which it's not, I'm looking at a very ambitious public project and we haven't, it hasn't become of that. Why do you think that there has not been a national leadership, a national leader that has made a public reckoning 
happen? Oh, Claudia, you know the answer to that. We have no national leadership right now. We're hoping to get some in January. But why, but it's because there's no leadership or there's because there's no leader. I mean, there's, those are two different things. Are they? Okay. They, they sound the same to me. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess I'm thinking of a person who's vested with responsibilities. They may abdicate, but they're still a leader and they are in, in their abdication. They've left this sort of wound that's not been staunch with any kind of a sort of a spiritual communal processing. Correct. Very correct. Yeah. So there is someone carrying the title who is not leading. And I, I guess in one of the many other kinds of silos are the same format, the platform you're talking about, where the printed media or the digital version of it, where a person's very rich, very, I don't want to say casual, a person's very personable obituary is offered. It's not, it's not following the strict obituary form. It's sort of, it's a, an introduction. Get to know, the, get acquainted with this person whom we've lost with COVID. So that's, it's a silent sort of observance. And I, I still savor reading over some of the back copies and thinking about, and, and that's the, uh, that one other element of memorial. You said healing and- And humility. Oh, healing and humility. I'm gonna give you one more H, honoring. Indeed, indeed. That's a big one. You know, I was thinking about public memorials um, after you asked me to do this, and I realized that probably most of our nationwide observances have been related to either those who've lost their lives in military actions or those who've lost their lives in attacks that were, you know, very clearly, quote unquote, from outside. Um, and, and this is different. We, we don't know how to grieve this. Well, when we were talking about this, and as I bring up an example or bring this topic to other people to get some insights about how to cover this, is that people think about 9-11, which was September 11th in 2001, and they, they bring that up and we quickly realize, well, that was a like, you, well, it was an attack from outside. It meets those criteria you're talking about. It also meets the criteria of it was a distinct attack. The attack started and ended and there were main, I mean, people did succumb to their exposures to other, other kinds of uh, mental kinds of uh, consequences to surviving September 11th. Uh, and that in, after that attack, then it was on a Tuesday, in the National Cathedral in Washington, DC, there was a very, very public memorial service. And I don't, I think that the President Bush, at, the president at that time, I think he did speak at that. So there was, that was a, a leader in that sense that was making that a public. It was, a, it was, I don't know how quickly it had been announced after 9-11 Tuesday, but everybody knew by the time Friday came, because there was so much coverage, this right. had come together. And I don't know if you recall listening to any of that service and was live, or did you get that service in a recorded version later? 
honestly, I don't remember either. There, there was a memorial at the National Cathedral yes. in, in October of this year, commemorating 200,000 deaths to COVID. As part of it, they rang their bell 200 times and it took them 30 minutes. So did they so say names when they rang the bell? Are, well, they can't say a thousand names every time they ring the bell. Oh, that's so true. Right, can, right, right. The numbers are getting really overwhelming. I mean, there's something very, to me, there's something very wonderful about listing the names. I love the, um, the solemnity there. Yeah, I, I appreciated the New York Times Memorial for that reason. And Maya Lin's Memorial of the Vietnam War. I appreciate for that reason as well of, of naming the names, but it's getting hard to name the names, Claudia, because there are so, so many. That is a, that, that is a whole editorial and is a whole essay about what, I mean, the reason I wanted to ask these questions of you, someone like you on a program on a platform available to me is how, are we able to tolerate this? Well, how there seems to be a tolerance for this number or is the number numbingly huge? It's not an active tolerance act. It's just overwhelming. It's not, it's beyond palpable. It's so many people. You got me, Claudia. I'm, I think part of it has been, we have a certain fraction of the populace who are so practiced in the art of denial that they have been able to deny it thus far. And, you know, it has yet to be seen whether at, when we are finally rid of this pandemic, whether people will still be in denial about it. Um, the, the other thing I wanna bring up though, Claudia, is the, um, what, what is the term? So there are various kinds of complicated grief when, when something impedes your ability to just flat out grieve or there's baggage with your grief. Okay. And um, uh, not having a proper memorial for your loved one as so many people are not able to do right now, not being able to be at the hospital to hold your loved one's hand at the end of life, those not being able to have the rituals that your family has always had when someone dies, um, that's gonna take a toll, that is taking a toll and will continue to take a toll, which is a reason to do all the public memorials that we can get away with, whether they're national or local in all the different forms that we can think of because people have this unexpressed grief. They have a need for ritual that isn't able to be expressed in the normal ways. That we can get away with or that we can muster? As you say, that yeah, let's yeah. be creative and let's be insistent. So yeah, it was a, above the fold in one of today's papers where the family was bereft at not being able to, to bury their loved one in his, uh, they could not honor his request in being buried in his military uniform. So that, I mean, that's just, there's all these examples and I'm 
probably that was something that person had talked about maybe right up until they no longer could speak. They go, oh, this is something I'm really, I hope you can do this. Please try, do everything you can or something. But it's sort of, it probably got pretty raw where they realized we can't, there's nothing they can, the helplessness, the helplessness that isn't addressed and not being able to grieve in a very formal, a full, expansive way. Right. And, you know, there are thousands, well, getting to be hundreds of thousands of stories like that. So for those of you who've just joined us, let me introduce my guest on Digging Out. She is Dr. Terry LePage, minister affiliated with United Church of Christ, currently doing community ministry, justice advocacy, and spiritual support for hard times. The perfect person for us to consider a memorial, a public memorial, honoring, healing, why can't I think of them all? Honoring, healing, and a humble ex humility exercise desperately needed. I, I, I say that advisedly too, desperation. So when we're, let's, we're gonna get into some specifics here about who is this audience and how, how, how best can we capture as many people as possible? Capture everyone, Terry. That's a good question. I think that we need to have national leadership and you know that can happen in January. And maybe the place to start is to honor fallen healthcare workers. Maybe that's, that's a good starting place. Though they are the ones that are honored. And, and so the audience would be the, everyone to reflect on the loss of the, the health care, the frontline workers. Because I'm, I'm thinking of, we're reaching somebody. What, so that's the organizing principle. Who are we reaching? And then how do we capture all of them? Well, that would be everyone who has been helped or whose family has been helped by healthcare workers, right? That's a pretty, pretty broad brush. Right, right. Well, I, Terry, I think of everybody, though. I think of a nation. I think of a world that's lost something. And the losses are, are still being counted and still unfolding. So right. it, it's hard for people to wrap their head around the kinds of losses that are not death proper, that we have to mourn the loss of jobs and businesses and livelihoods and assumptions that are, for instance, that the CDC would work or that our healthcare system could, could bear a certain burden. So there are things other than death proper to be mourned. And, and that's a challenge that we really don't know how to address very well. I'm working on it, but I've got a lot okay. of ways to go. So I guess you're, you're a really good a sort of an authority on with all of the kinds of the frailties in compassionate communication that when we are doing, taking on a heady exercise, a heady process, we don't want to, we don't want to make any mistakes. We want it to be flawless, but there is there a hazard? I mean, we, we can't know what to do so that we know what perfect is. So we, we can assure perfection. So how, what do we set our mind to in terms of that permission? So we, are, we will be in unknown territory 
when we grieve COVID, right? We just right. haven't done this before. So how the heck are we supposed to do it perfectly? There, there's no way. My thought of starting with healthcare workers is because they can be recognized as fallen heroes. And I think our country still remembers how to do that. And I think it would be very unifying and very moving to recognize them as fallen heroes. And in the way, I guess, when we have more memorials or rites performed, presented, then there, there would be the long hauler maimed healthcare providers that are sort of like the, the war veterans that are in their wheelchairs. I mean, they're sort of, they're, they, although in COVID we, and with the pandemic, we have to separate everybody, but there may be a very powerful way of having nurses and surgeons and janitors, the whole facility of employees and have them sort of be honored as those who survived it, but are clearly not in the shape they were when they signed on to help in those healthcare facilities. I think we want to address them. I don't know that they can be honored in the same way that uh, vets with disabilities can be honored because it's too new, it's too raw, in a lot of cases, they're probably fighting to get disability. There's, I, I can't envision a way to call them up on stage and honor them. Oh, they, I don't they mean, I mentioned they can be prayed over, etc. I, I meant physically I that, the, that they're, they're lined up, let's say, below, uh, there's a terrace where there might be a public speaker safely distanced from somebody, and they're sort of out down below that platform and they are, they're represented in their chairs or something and they, they're taking in the service as well. It's a lovely idea, Claudia, and I don't think it'll fly. Trust me on this. Okay, okay. Well, I'm trying, I mean, that's, I'm taking a-, a, a the, so, so part of the grief of the long hauler is getting your disability recognized is a really hard thing to do. That you may feel halfway decent one day and miserable the next, that you have no outward scars. That makes things very complicated for those okay. people. But it is what is happening. That's why I, oh, yeah. I bring it because I don't ever hear that category mentioned enough. It's some minuscule fraction of the whole discussion. So let's then talk about what for you, let's say you had an unlimited, you had unlimited resources. So what kind of setting would you think is appropriate? for a public memorial? I'm, I'm actually gonna suggest to you that we can't do it properly until after we're vaccinated. So hold off anyway, okay. So there won't, there won't be one that requires physical distancing to, to that extent. So when after the vaccination have been broadly distributed at some point, what makes an appropriate setting for a public memorial? of casualties of COVID-19? It's an interesting question. I, I would say the National Mall. I mean, that's, that's our um, national identity, right? When you're gonna do something national, you do it on the National Mall, right? Would you do it simultaneously with other settings around the world? I, I don't think, I, you know, I think if we can pull off national, we'll be doing really well. I think, I think, <laughs> Okay. I, I don't think I don't think global is something we even need to attempt. Okay, well that that's, that bears it bears ask there, and so so the National Mall, and 
will, and it's open to the public to come, who can come to there. So it's sort of a little bit of a natural selection. Those that are closer, those with more resources are coming, or is it an invitational sort of, how does that look? it's it's pretty overwhelming that way because if you, if you invite families who have experienced loss, you've just well exceeded the capacity of the National Mall, right? Right. So um, I guess it's just, I, I don't know who's up front and why, but I, it should be open to the public and it should be obviously televised. And I think most people are obviously going to be witnessing it via television. I do have a request that Yo-Yo Ma play his cello. You do, yeah. I'd, I'd like for Leonard Bernstein to do something, but he's he's not available. But I just, I think of the many kinds of unifying sounds, but for, for one, but um, that, yeah, Yo-Yo Ma, I, I would uh, line up. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the part where I was most frustrated is you were looking for names of, of public figures to speak and I was just at a loss. I, I had no idea. But that's a that's an editorial comment though, Terry. Right, it's true. It's that's true. saying that there there's a lack of them. And so now there's nobody else then. I'm sure there are people who are articulate enough and I'm trying to think there's something called the festival of homiletics where where people give their spiels and Michael Curry might be someone who could speak well under that circumstance he is one person who comes to mind as, as someone who could speak in a unifying way, you will recall that he presided over the royal wedding. Oh, that's right. And he has talked about COVID on, yeah. And I'm not sure what other, maybe he's talked about police, police shootings. I can't remember now what the topic, but I think he, yeah, Michael, no, good. Um, is there any inside political figure at all? I think it might be reasonable to approach one of the uh, Republicans who has been willing to step outside the ranks and speak towards sanity. But they have to speak to a lot of sanity, not just sort of like a window and then out again and insanity. Is Is there a Republican that's been carrying that consistently? I, I am not enough in the know to tell you that. I have I've and, not been following following those speeches and writings well enough. Is there a Democrat? Well, there there are lots of sane Democrats, definitely. And okay. you know, Joe Joe Biden is first and foremost. I mean, he wants to unify. He's been around long enough himself to have he's experienced tremendous hardship and loss in his personal life. So he knows how to speak about loss, I'm quite sure. I mean, I think I think really he's the person we need for this time. And, you, and nationally you, elected right, right, nationally elected leaders do step up to this kind of role of a national. And I do think George W. Bush spoke at the National Cathedral, I'm pretty sure. Is there a person who's a performance artist? And I mean that in a real generic way that comes to mind. 
Oh, that's such a good question. I, I do not have the, the breadth of knowledge to fill that in, uh, to fill in that spot. There, there are certainly, there's a poet laureate. dozens, dozens of poets who could express, again, poetry as art expresses things that just plain speaking can't do. So poetry would be very appropriate for such an occasion. So I'm trying to think of, and like a, we had a poet with like a, like an operatic singer or a, you said Yo-Yo Ma. We need a saxophone. Because it's an American instrument? Uh, because of the tone that comes out of it? Both, both. That's perfect. It's and we a, need some choral music, some tight yes. choral music. Like, like you'd hear in church, but I don't know what they should be singing there. I think there's a lot of wonderful pieces that, that could be chosen from. Do you have any wishes? I have a few songs that I would say, please don't do that one because every person who has a memorial service wants to do the same three songs. Right. And I know <laughs> yeah, some of those, <laughs> but, but you see, it's sort of, this is an inclusive it has to be genuinely inclusive. So it's, huh, it means really thinking very, very deliberately for that. And that's maybe why maybe the more municipal level projects, they could, they can be more specific, make, they can, they can be, they have more license to do maybe some things that you might not be able to do nationally because it might tip its hand to some sort of a cultural piece that might not be considered inclusive. That might be, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Right, there, you know you, you, you know who the constituencies are on the local level. Right, that's you it, you know your, yeah, you know yeah. it. And the other is, is, okay, that's an important point. Thanks for putting that in there. Uh, I mean, I just keep thinking of like a spiritual and black American spiritual which I think have been accepted in a very broad public. Don't you think? Ab absolutely. I mean, that, actually you can say African-American. Yeah. Right, that could be either solo or- Choral. Choral. Yeah, okay. You know, have to have two different choral pieces, one very- Spare. Or, you know, tight Western style and one in, in a style of a African-American spiritual. Like one Aaron Copeland and one Af African-American spiritual? Something like that, yeah. Or Bernstein or... Yeah, or... I, I'm not crazy about Copeland myself. <laughs> okay, okay. And that's part of this interview, this program today that we're doing together, Terry LePage, is that we all get get lined up and we all start sending requests out there. We all just start sending a request into a, a broader public conversation about what a memorial ought to be about. Well, this thank is you, like the Claudia, start. Because yeah, you, you got me started uh, thinking about this. And I do think what one thing, um, there's going to be a task of rebuilding uh, 
both after the current administration and after COVID. And a memorial is a nice punctuation mark and exclamation point to say, um, you know, let's mourn our losses, let's come together and let's talk about how we rebuild. Is that part of the president-elect Joe Biden inaugural speech? Does he I'll make let it him a part write his own speech? Right, right. But would that be a, like a portion of that inaugural speech could be a memorial step taking? It could. Um, unfortunately, the deaths will not be over even no, on no. January 20th. No, no. But and, I mean, interim, because it is ongoing. And the nature, as I've been instructed by my epidemiologist brain trust, is it will just dwindle. There won't there won't even be like, these are the most that will ever have. It'll just be peter out the way a bad flu has petered out over the years, you know? So it's, um, I mean, AIDS is still continuing. <laughs> that's right. Man, right. So that maybe that's one of the, the sort of more contemporary comparable kinds of travesties that requires there, there are interesting comparisons and and that's where the you know memorial as activism definitely played a huge role the AIDS quote all right which has traveled also so that it moved around the whole country and I believe I think it, it was international so well, you talked about who you'd like to who would you like to have address the public Whose voices? You've mentioned what kind of music performance. So what what all what all would make for you an amazing program? Claudia, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble getting specific here because we just at this point we don't have national religious leaders who are unifying that we can call upon. Well that it's, in itself is a huge to, essay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it can be a beginning of that of the process of inviting forward and giving a platform to voices who can unify and call people to their better natures as part of a public ritual, not public religion per se, but public ritual. Um, ritual is important, and and the only ritual that our current president knows how to do is is the campaign rally, and and we are much the poorer for it. Okay, I I understand. I I'm forcing some contortions of you to answer some things that I I want us to have this open open ended discussion about. Are there there, so there, even the, the ecumenical leaders are also divided, even within, uh, even there, with. There are, there are unifying leaders. They, I don't think they're very well known. That's what I'm saying. Who are, who are they? Like the Reverend. I'm not even sure I know. Reverend them. Barber, would he be a good one? Uh, actually, no. Because he's identified with he, progressive he, movements. Um there's a certain tone that he can take that that wouldn't be helpful that is not compassionate communication his role is is the prophet he's always on the outside oh okay mm, that's an important distinction so who are other un lesser knowns that come to your mind where are they 
Hi, I'm sorry, Claudia. I just don't have any names on the tip of my tongue. But they're there. And so what I wanna, I wanna speak to conversations that are occurring. And it's, it's partly memorial, it's partly a reassurance ritual. And mem memorials offer reassurance. That's, that's, that's what makes them a redemptive step to take, right? Among other things, reassurance is certainly a powerful function of memorials. And I'm beginning to hear, and in fact, there, it, it, just in the last three days, and they, uh, these reassurances come from, they both happen to be 90-somethings that survived the Holocaust, and they have such clarity in saying, that they, they, they're always reaching to much younger generations. Dr. Ruth Westheimer was speaking to the university synagogue remotely at their Shabbat service last Friday. And there is another one that I heard on a, a national public radio, it's been a minute. This 99 year old, also, she, I believe she remained in Europe. Dr. Ruth Westheimer did eventually come to the US um, safely, of course, and but the Holocaust survivors having being the examples of resilience are they're offering this reassuring message to younger people that we're going to get through this, and they just say it with such remarkable joy and conviction, Terry. And I want to just the quote that I was able to lift since I heard Dr. Ruth Westheimer's piece most recently, she said that it was um, a rabbi gave her, gave every Jew dispensation. They, she, he said that she was able to convey to us to light more than one menorah because we live right now in such dark times, we need light. Beautiful, well said. So those kinds of reassurances are happening. I, and so I don't know if, um, what passages, what kinds of scripture, of art, uh, what I'm asking you more specifics here. What would, what do you find would be a useful conveyance of the humility, the healing and the honoring in a COVID-19 memorial public service? Let's see. Um, I think looking to elders who have been through things that we haven't been through, as you've as you've, as you've said, is a is a great approach. I was, what is the word? I I was chastised uh, by somebody. Uh, he must have been around eighty. Who remembers when his parents feared he would die of polio? because that was a thing. The death rate was very high. And, you know, he's here. <laughs> in, in other words, um, I think the last, what, 50 years, 60 years have been, for many of us, extraordinarily privileged times where we haven't had a lot of hardship. And hanging out with people who have been through hardship and gotten to the other side of it and thrived is, is really a healing exercise. In honoring, I think there's, there's so much that we took for granted before the pandemic. 
that we can now recognize for the gift it is. You know, that supermarket shelves are full of food that- uh, Water comes out of the tap and electricity flows. All those things that we have a functioning healthcare system, at least for now. For some, not for, not for, for some, enough. Right, right. And then the humility, um, why do we think we're special that we shouldn't experience hardship? Um, why do we th think we should be protected from um, the things that have scourged humanity since its inception? Um, we need to be humbled before these forces that we thought technology could exempt us from, but it turns out not to be true. That's a really valuable learning. Indeed. When we talk about underrepresented constituents in our country, that, that deprivation has always been there for them. So it's, but as a larger society, that deprivation, we haven't collectively, that's what it is. We have not collectively gone through a, a stretch of deprivation. Correct. And it's interesting that the death of George Floyd made such an impression. And I think part of the reason it did was because of the vulnerability that people were feeling because of COVID. Maybe some of us had more time to reflect than we used to, more time to watch the news, but also more sense of our own vulnerability. I want to believe that we can take advantage of that to raise awareness of the need for justice and equal access to healthcare and other resources in our country. On the other hand, the, the financial pressures that are gonna come out of the losses of the pandemic are gonna work against that. So that would be a fabulous message to try to convey in any memorials that happen as well is that people without resources were, bore the brunt of the loss. And of the people I have met personally, I know one person who's died of COVID and he didn't have health care and he didn't have insurance. So he didn't go to the hospital when he should have. So that's when he should not have, uh, he, he, he did, did not, not at all. He did go to the hospital when he, he should have. And he died at home? And he died at home. He didn't want to burden his family with debt. And though, oh, oh, so many places where that is not accounted for that is happening. And you're, you are aware of that. Yeah, this know. is in Orange County. This isn't somewhere else. Right, right. It's here, folks. It's happening. So Terry, we're talking about a public memorial service. And there's also the structural memorials. And I guess I'd like to direct what an elegant way that at the Yad Vashem in Jerusalem in Israel, the, the Holocaust Memorial, it's a, an entire sort of campus of memorials. And there's a, you know, a long history kind of a, a lesson, a structure, and there's a separate self-standing structure for children, it's Remembering Children, designed by Moshe Safdi, and that's the architect. And I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem and you've seen the children's 
memorial, Holocaust memorial? I have not. So, and I don't know if it's a, it's a meaningful kind of guide about how reverence, elegance, and the sheer number of people had been done. They, they're, you, you walk into a kind of a smaller domed structure and there are names that are mentioned in you know, a continuous thread. So all the children, at a, I'm not sure if they were 18 and under or 12 and under that died in the Holocaust and their names are mentioned all the time. And there are, there are like illuminations, like flames that are a lit in there, maybe electric flames, but they, they're there to acknowledge the, the number of children that died in the Holocaust. And it was so simple. It was so remarkable. And I don't know if that's something that can help us see how we could reverently acknowledge the numbers of people that have succumbed to COVID. That's a really good question, Claudia. And I leave it to the great artists among us to figure that out. Hopefully there will be a suitable commission and, and contest held because it, it, it does require art to express the inexpressible. And that's why we turn to artists for, for these public memorials and to musicians. And that's a, that is a fraught kind of a process to put out what you're looking for. Because I mean, even the, the rebuilding of the ground zero in New York City, that, that, oh, that's another lesson, is how, how very difficult a project review is. What are the criteria, how it's represented, who's represented, and the actual resources to be used to, to put it all together. Maybe we can frame it differently though, Claudia. Maybe that difficult work is exactly the work that needs to be done. And that's of, a redemptive of, project. Yeah, forging consensus out of confusion. And that per people are, should give themselves permission that it's going to be fraught. It's going to, but at, it, it'll be redemptive. There, it will come out, people will come out better than when they started. I hope it's, so. I mean, yeah. it's, I was told you cannot ever guarantee anything, but I, I guess if people allow themselves the unevenness of a project like that, it will have huge dividends to get to the other side of that. That's my hope, exactly. It's a hope. So, all right, so I did ask you to think out loud with me about a delicate exercise of a memorial for COVID-19 casualties. So are you gonna take, have you been taking this conversation to others to find out how we can start sending our requests out and up so that this will, there will, I want some momentum on this. Cause I, I, I really, frankly, I'm very concerned about getting that redemptive process underway. I don't think, I don't think we're there. I think cause it's, there's, there's a matter of survival going on right now. It's a matter of understanding protocols to stay safe. So um, are you, 
is this not the time to talk about memorials? Is it time to just work on hunkering down right now and, and talking about resilience to people that look like they're hanging on for dear life? Or do we, can we do, can we be ambidextrous with our civic exercises? We can definitely be ambidextrous and we can also, you know, we can practice locally and see what has traction and then send it on to higher levels would be one approach. So every city could have its own memorial, every county, every state. And where is, do you know, is, has, is there a municipality? We're, you've talked about what's taken place in Washington DC as a kind of a, a national gesture at reaching the 100,000 death milestone of sorts. But um, is, has there been something taken place anywhere you know of, whether it's there was in California or beyond? Beautiful, yeah, it, it, it was more of the uh, naming project rather than a specific, you know, hour or two hour long event in Detroit in the end of August, they had poster-sized portraits of yes. people okay, right. lining a park, 1,500. Mm -hmm. I think the deaths were at 1,500 in Detroit at that time, and they had 900 photographs. That's a pretty good ratio. And they had a hearse with full regalia and procession uh, wound its way through the city all day long. And I guess Los been, Angeles had something like that. Now that yeah, you mention it. There have been citywide observances other places as well. And there have been activist observances as well. So getting from the, let's say the community level, the city, the organization level, and now uh, working our way upward. And all levels are appropriate. So as we begin to close this conversation, which, for which I really do thank you, Terry LePage, and I'll quickly say for those who've just joined us, my guest here on Digging Out has been Terry LePage. She's a minister affiliated with United Church of Christ, currently doing community ministry, justice advocacy, and spiritual support for hard times. Is there any aspect that you would wish beyond what we have struggled with together here that would be a part of this national humbling, healing, honoring exercise? I guess I would just hope that we can infuse a little tenderness into all our interactions, remembering that everybody is suffering, whether or not they have been personally affected everybody's been suffering and everybody deserves some gentleness and consideration even if they're behaving badly maybe they're behaving badly in part because they're suffering and if we can all remember that that would be a pretty nice honoring and healing right there i appreciate that and that is a takeaway that can be a part of our everyday interactions. And it's hard to feel that sometimes when one feels threatened by a person not practicing healthcare measures 
that keep, you know would keep everybody safe. It's hard when you're threatened to have that bandwidth include that kind of tenderness for another person. But if that can be a muscle that starts forming and gets built, toned, the muscles toned to be tender with our, our fellow humans. And maybe, maybe more so when perhaps different executive orders reverse the opposite of tenderness, the uh, making, the vilifying of a person not a part of a, a dominant Caucasian culture, that maybe there is letting people come out, be feel safer. There are DACA applicants that may be able to again make their way through that process. There are travel bans that are lifted. There are people that are getting visas. There maybe that there's this. We all we all want to welcome people into this and be tender toward everybody. Indeed. So we can practice right away. We don't have to wait for the official memorial. Okay. Well, that I've taken that assignment directly from you, Terry, and as a, a thanks for your giving us this really special time on digging out today. Thank you, Claudia, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Terry. Again, my guest on digging out today was Terry LePage, a United Church of Christ minister and giving us a way to remembering our fellow humans as we're struggling with the, the COVID pandemic in the US and beyond. Thanks again, Terry. Next week, Charles Douglas III, vision, brand, and community guy at Common Power will have much to say about launching projects and building teams. Next stop, the Georgia Senate runoff elections. If you missed a show or a portion of one of Digging Out, go to KUCI.org and pull up the public affairs archives. Talk with you next week, and I thank you for listening. <music>